promised land has always represented a place of rest from our struggles, from our wanderings, from slavery, oppression, and injustice. And that's why Martin Luther King Jr. says that he has seen the promised land. He's, he's referring, of course, to that time when, when African Americans will be treated as equals to whites. Now, let me just point out something to you right now. Martin Luther didn't make that a fact. It already was a fact. Everybody understands that? But Martin Luther was leading his people in, in protest, in peaceful civil protest against the injustice and the oppression that they were experiencing in North America. In 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. led the March on Washington. And this was just, uh, I believe, one of the segments of one of these marches that he was doing to find rest for his people. But you fast forward 55 years and you find out that African Americans are still not experiencing the kind of rest that Martin Luther, was, Martin Luther King was very enthusiastic about. And in case anybody thinks I'm being racist, I'm going to tell you this, it's not just African Americans that have not yet entered the rest that God speaks about or that Martin Luther King Jr. was talking about. The rest of God comes only when we surrender and submit our lives to Christ. Amen? I just, the, Bible, the Bible is clear that the rest of God comes from submitting to God by putting our faith in him. Now, these are vague terms for most of us. We hear that. We, 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 we probably could recite it if anybody asks us. But to really understand, what does it really mean to have faith in God? What does it really mean to get rest, to get the rest of God? That's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to help us understand what is it that we need to do? What does our attitude need to be? What, what do we need to, uh, what path do we need to go down in order to get the kind of rest that Martin Luther King Jr. was seeing? And of course, when he was referring that he's been up the mountain, of course, he's, he's uh, comparing himself to Moses, a leader, which is fine. And he's he sees himself looking across into the Canaan land, into the promised land where Israel is about to go. For many of us, we're kind of like Moses who's gone up the hill, gone up the mountain. We see it from a distance, but for whatever reason, we just can't lay hold of it. We just can't quite get into that place of rest. We see other people joyful and happy and, and having peace in their Christian life, but, but for some reason, it eludes us. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, it's, it eludes me. I just can't get to that place of peace. I can't get to that place of rest. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. How do we get to that place where we are able to go, ah, that, 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 it was fun hearing that, wasn't it? Do I try it? Everybody, take a deep breath. We're going to go, ah. I never said to do that yet. Let's try it one more time. Ah. Hey, it's a mistake. It's a mistake to believe that rest will come to us when our circumstances change. We all think that. I think Martin Luther King Jr. believed that everything would be better after, after there was equality. But it didn't get better. 
the fact we're seeing right now just the terrible race problems in America, and we even have it here in Canada. But the, the temptation is to think, if the circumstances change, then things are going to get better for me. And so most of us are kind of waiting. We're just sort of waiting. My ship will come in. My prince will come. The day will come. We wait for the circumstances to change. As soon as I make more money, then I'll finally, I'll be able to, as soon as there's justice, well, then I'll be able to rest. As soon as I get that new job I've been praying for, as soon as I get that new position, as soon as I get that that new house, as soon as I get that new church, as soon as I get that that new husband, as soon as I could get new kids, as soon as I get that new car, everything's going to be different. I'll feel much better when I'm driving a brand new car, a brand new Maserati. I'll be better as soon as my husband changes. As soon as my wife changes, then everything's going to be great. I'm going to have a great life, Pastor. Just you wait and see. As soon as she changes... As soon as my kids get married, as soon as my kids are out of the house, I'm not hinting, Nick or Sarah. When Israel arrived at the promised land, the borders of the promised land, they, just just imagine them, they're dusty from traveling. They were actually going through a wilderness, through the desert, dusty and tired, really weary, Tired of eating manna, even though the writer of angel uh, of Hebrews calls it angel food. Like we're tired of this angel food cake. They're they're exhausted. They're just tired, and and they're still kind of traumatized and shell shocked by what went on in Egypt, and all that happened after they left Egypt, the chariots after them, and being in the middle of the desert, feeling vulnerable. They've come now to the gates of the promised land. Imagine that, tired, weary, you'd think, surely you must be ready to enter, right? Surely this would be it. But they look in and they think, oh man, that just looks like too much trouble for us. And they think that if we can change their circumstances, that somehow then they'll be prepared to enter. But what possibly could change to make them ready to enter that promised land? Now, I want the Spirit of God to speak to your heart right now because some of you are sitting here right now thinking, as soon as things change, then I'm going to submit to God. I'm going to surrender to God. I'm going to start doing things God's way. I'm going to tell you, folks, that day will never come. And we're going to talk about that next week. Today is acceptable hours, acceptable time. Right now is the time that God wants you to, to surrender. Before we go on to that, let me first of all talk about what it means to get the rest that God wants all of us to have. So what you need to know is Israel standing at the borders of the promised land thinking, well, you know, if we first of all, if we, if we just make some weapons, if we first if we can just first build, um, build an army, if we could first, you know, get armor, 
could maybe get some chariots. Maybe we could go back to the Red Sea and see if we could dig some chariots out of the, out of the, out of the sea. Uh, but we've we got to get ourselves prepared to enter into God's rest. And you know how God responded to that. God saw these children of Israel depending on themselves, relying upon themselves, thinking that it rested on them. It rested on them. It was their responsibility to make it possible for them to enter the promised land. And God said, no, you still don't get it. People, I need you to trust me, is what God's saying. In fact, because you don't trust me, you're not going into the promised land. We talked about that last week. Rest was forbidden. They were not allowed to enter the promised land because they would not trust God. They would not put his faith in God. So today I want to talk about how can we get the rest that God wants us to have. What does it mean to put our faith in God? Martin Luther King Jr. said, I've seen the promised land. And so have I. And so has everybody here today. You've seen the promised land. It's a place of rest. It's called a place of trust in God. Or as we like to say, faith. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Would you say that with me? For only we who believe can enter his rest. You know what's what's sad is that there's so many people in the church, not just our church, but in churches all over the place. They go to church every Sunday. They sing the songs. Oh, and some of them are awesome singers. And they know how to worship. They know how to praise the Lord. Some are very generous. They go to missions fields. Some are giving their thousands or tens of thousands. But at the end of the day, they don't really trust God. And so what's happening, what happens with all of us, is we are guilty of practicing a religion and having absolutely no relationship with God. To have faith, to truly believe God, means that we have an intimate relationship, an intimate walk with God. And the best way that I can illustrate that for you is to take you back to the Garden of Eden. Pastor Alan, you're not going back to the Garden of Eden again. Hey, folks, you've heard me say this before. Genesis 3, Genesis 2 and 3, it unlocks everything, helps you understand the whole Bible. Before Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were enjoying a sweet sense of fellowship with God Almighty. They walked with him in the garden. They talked with him. They, they were relaxed. They were at peace. They had what we would describe or call uh, a perfect rest. There's no anxiety, no fear, no worries. They weren't worried about attacks from anywhere. They weren't worried about their own sinful nature because it, at that point it didn't, it didn't exist. Let me talk to you about God's rest today. You know, everyone always says to me, I don't know if anybody says it to you, Pastor, you need to rest. Anybody ever said it to you? You might say that to your kids, you need to rest. In fact, you maybe look, get up in the morning, look at yourself, bags under your eyes, and say, dude, you need to rest. I'm gonna tell you something. Getting more sleep is no guarantee that we're getting the rest that we need. Did you know that? There's a lot of people that sleep a lot, and they're just so unrested. 
You know, I was, uh, I was looking into this, uh, this business of getting sleep, because getting sleep and resting are two, completely two different things. I think most of us know this. Um, I, I just saw this recently. The number of prescriptions for sedative hypnotics, the group of drugs which Ambien or Zalpidem belongs. Some of you have heard of that. Maybe you're even taking that. Uh, please, I'm not judging or condemning or whatever, but I just want to point something out. They say that the number of prescriptions grew 30 times from 1994 to 2007. I don't have the latest statistics, but we're going back about 10 years ago. And the article said that that's five times faster. That growth is five times faster uh, in terms of the numbers of people who have been diagnosed with, with insomnia. It's 20, 21 times faster than the growth of patient complaints of sleeplessness. And so we're desperately, desperately trying to find rest. And by the way, we, we don't just turn to, to sedatives to, to, to get rest. There's uh, all sorts of things that we do to try to, to calm ourselves, distract ourselves, uh, video games, people. We self-medicate. We do whatever we can just to get some relief from the stress of life. Some people even turn to pornography. What's the solution? Well, Hebrews tells us only we who believe can enter into God's rest. And if you're here today, as I'm speaking to you, you recognize that you are self-medicating, that you are trying to find rest in your own strength, according to your own wisdom, and you're thinking, man, I am tired of this. I am worn out. I'm exhausted. Then you've come to the right place. Because I want to share with you this morning what you need to do to start getting rest so that you don't have to self-medicate anymore. Before we do that, I want to talk about what rest is one more time. Here's the definition. To rest, and you'll notice that nowhere is the word sleep in here. Look at that. To rest is to cease work or movement in order to relax, to refresh oneself or recover strength. When's the last time you just sat on the couch and did nothing? Just stared ahead. No TV on, no, no video games, no Facebook. No Facebook. Nothing. To rest is to refresh oneself or recover strength. One of the things that I love to do is I love to, to, to get apart, get away from everything and anything. I turn my music off, I turn everything off, and I just relax in the presence of God. If I didn't do that, I would be a basket case, or more of a basket case than I already have. Rest is be supported so as to stay in a place. Talk about having a rest for something so that we can keep something in place. It's relaxing or ceasing to engage in strenuous or stressful activity. Hey, this describes most people's lives. They're so stressed out by life. They're so anxious. They're, they're running around trying to keep it all together. And they're applying their, their whatever, whatever energy and wisdom and ability that they have. They're stressed out of their mind. God describes rest as something stress-free. 
It's to be peaceful and not agitated or troubled. That's what peace is. Now, Hebrews tells us that we can only enter God's rest by faith, by putting our faith in God, by trusting him. And the Bible's clear that when you lose your faith or you lose your trust in God, that is when you become restless. Did you get that? When your faith is not where it needs to be, when you're not trusting God, that's when you start becoming restless. Now, that's, that's, that's the early indicator, the early warning sign for you. As soon as you're becoming restless, you, can't, you, you haven't got peace, you have a hard time sleeping, you can't think straight. This is, this is the God's way of tapping you on the shoulder and, and saying to you, hey, come back to me. You gotta get back on track. You're not where you need to be spiritually. You are not trusting, you don't have faith, and this is why you're restless. And what do we do when we're restless? Well, we go shopping, of course. Right? Or we go on Facebook. We go to the various social media. We, uh, we call a friend and talk for hours. Or a relative. We, as I said already, we self-medicate. There's so many ways. Or we try to, we run from our circumstances. We try to get away from our kids, get away from our husband, get away from our wife, get away from friends, get away from our job. Run. If you're running, that's a sign of restlessness. This is a sign that you're not trusting God. Now, remember this, folks. Rest is an inside job. Rest does not depend on circumstances. I love that, the, the video clips I, I watched of Martin Luther King Jr. leading, leading the, grand, the, the gang, his, his gang of peaceful marchers. They're surrounded by people who hate them. They're throwing things at them. The, the police are there ready to beat them. And you look at their faces and there's, a, there's just a look of, of peacefulness upon their face. Why is that? How can they be so peaceful in the face of such hatred? It's because their faith is in God. A lot of people don't know this, but Martin Luther King Jr. was actually a pastor, he was a minister. And a lot of those people who marched were in fact believers in Jesus Christ themselves. A lot of people don't know that. Where does this peace come from? It's obviously not from the circumstances because if they had brains in their head, they would run for their lives. But you see, what they've got is even better than brains. They've got Jesus. They've got the help of God. They've got the presence and the power of God working in their lives. I'm going to tell you something right now, folks. Whatever you're facing, whatever circumstances you may find yourself in right now, and you've heard me say this before, you and God are a majority. Did you get that? When you've got God on your side, when you've got God working in you and on you and through you, you can face anything. This is why Daniel is able to be thrown into a lion's den and he says, bring it on. Whether three young men are thrown into the furnace, what's their names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Well, you all know that story. There they are in the fire. 
Do you smell anything? Not really. You're trusting God. And there's, there's the king looking in there, getting a little too close, his beard being singed, and what's going on in there? And Do I see a fourth person in there? Yep. Your circumstances right now are ruling you. In fact, they're hurting you. Your circumstances are throwing you into a place where you are anxious and uptight inside. And you need to be reminded that God wants you to have that kind of rest where you are supported so as to stay in place. I can stay where I am. If God is with me, I can face anything. Bring on the chariots of Egypt. Come on, Pharaoh, come on. Amalekites, come on. People of Jericho, do your worst. Because I got rest, I've got peace inside. I'm calm, I can face anything. My peace, my joy, does not depend on the circumstances. Is the Spirit of God speaking to you today? You think, Pastor Allen, you know, if you just could follow me for a day, you'll see how bad it is. Well, if you could follow me for a day. Our rest is an inside job. And it depends on your relationship to God. And so we see Adam and Eve, they're in the garden, lost. They lost their rest because they just chose not to believe God. Who did they choose to believe? Who did they they choose to believe? They they believed Satan. They they believed him, didn't they? Satan said, don't believe God, believe me. Take the fruit, it's going to make you like God. Adam and Eve thought that sounds great. But Ray actually has the second part of that answer. They believe themselves as well. They took that information and they started processing it. And look at this part of the process meant eliminating the word of God. And that's where we all get into trouble. When we start processing and we leave out the word of God in our processing and are trying to understand what to do, what not to do, what decision to make, what decision not to make. And so yes, Yes, Satan was there, but it wasn't all Satan's fault. And we make a big mistake if we just keep blaming the devil because at some point, you are going to have to take responsibility for how you're living your life, amen? God did punish the snake, but he also punished Adam and Eve. Why? Because they were culpable too. They were responsible as well for the loss of, of Eden, the loss of their rest. I'm gonna tell you this right now, you lose your rest by doing things your own way. So the question then is this, how do I get God's rest? I know God wants me to have his rest and I've learned now that rest depends on faith in God. So what do I have to do? What does it mean to work out this faith in my life? Have you ever noticed that there's times when you... uh, your sleep is, is interrupted and limited, and yet you still feel rested. And there's other times you're sleeping your head off, and yet you're still, you're still not quite rested enough. Margaret Thatcher was Britain's prime minister from 1979 to 1990. 
And uh, she's a, a fascinating woman. I don't know what you think of her, but it doesn't really matter to me at the moment. But I'll tell you this. She was a Christian woman. Her father was a, a solid Methodist man who actually was a lay preacher. And so she grew up. She grew up living by Christian values, by Christian principles. And we discover as we begin to look at her life that while she was in office for those 10 years as prime minister, do you know how many hours of sleep she had? Every night, four hours, because she had work to do. And someone asked her, how on earth can you function on four hours? She said, four hours is great. I wake up and I feel rested. How can you feel rested after four hours? I've tried it, by the way. Here's what Margaret Thatcher says. She says that it's her, it's her faith in God, her trust in God. It was not the circumstances around her or the lack of bad circumstances that made her feel rested. It was her trust, her profound trust in God and the rightness of her cause. That ministered to me because here's a woman who's in a position of authority and if anybody has a reason to feel unrested, it's her. She gets her four hours, she rests, she gets up and she tackles her work. We quickly recognize, folks, that rest is actually a state of mind and a state of one's heart. As we go through Hebrews chapter 4, this is what you're going to discover. You're going to discover that the rest of God is a state of mind, it's a state of heart, where you trust God completely, where you're saying, God, I don't get it. I don't know why things are happening the way they are. I don't know why I am where I am, but God, I'm going to trust you. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, listen to this. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. And soon he and his disciples couldn't find time to eat. Can you imagine being that busy? No time even to eat. In the verse 21, it says, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take Jesus away, saying he's out of his mind. Now look at this, folks. Jesus experienced exactly the same things that you're experiencing. You're busy, busy, busy. Things to do, places to go. You've got meetings. And you, if anybody, have got a, a good excuse to feel worn out and tired, you, of anyone, has got a good excuse to complain about not having rest. But here's Jesus. And he's actually able to survive this. Not only does he survive it, but we find that Jesus is just as strong as ever in his ministry, in the effectiveness of his ministry. So what, is, what does Jesus do? Where does Jesus get this superpower from? And what must I do to get the same results in my life? Pastor Allen, how can I be strong even when I don't get enough sleep, enough rest? Well, here's what you need to do. Here we go. The first thing you need to do is what Jesus did. In Hebrews 2, verse 13, it says, Jesus also said, I will, said, I will put my trust in him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Jesus sets for us an example of people who trust in God. Now look at this. It's not just Jesus who's trusting in God, but it's all of his children. In fact, all the people who say, I am a child of God. If you're a child of God to say, if you're a child of God today, say it, I'm a child of God. 
and therefore I trust in God. But do you? How do I know I'm trusting in God? Well, I'm not trusting in myself. In fact, what I'm doing is I am doing the will of God every time. I'm not doing my will. I'm doing what God wants me to do. I've watched so many people make mistakes in their life, massive mistakes, because at some point along the way, they, they, they just make up their mind, hey, you know what? I, it, this is just too risky to trust God. Have you ever thought that? Anybody like that? This is a big step. I don't know if I'm going to trust God. I've watched so many people make massive mistakes in their lives because they refuse to trust God. They instead put their trust in themselves or they trust in their own wisdom. Marilyn Wedlake, you, you, you heard the, uh, the video clip of her a few weeks ago about how her mother used to annoy her because every time she would leave the house, her mother would say to her what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. She said it used to annoy her because she just felt like her mother was constantly interfering with her life until she came to the place where she understood it's about the best advice anybody could give her. And she began to live her life that way. Are you trusting in God or are you relying on your own understanding, your own wisdom? Because if you are trusting in yourself, if you are relying on your own understanding, then I'm guaranteeing right now you're in big trouble. God wants you to settle down and go to church every Sunday. God wants you to be a tither, a giver, to support the kingdom of God. You have to trust him to do that. God wants you to be in a small group where you are fellowshipping with other believers and growing in your relationship to other believers. God wants you to be holy as Jesus is holy. Every time you make a decision, you're saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What would Jesus do? God wants you to trust him. He wants you to do it his way and not your way. The next thing we discover about Jesus is that Jesus is going to a solitary place to pray. We read it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, after send, sending the people home, Jesus went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone, praying. When's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you talked to God, spent time in his presence? None of this, oh God, I'm, I'm getting on the bus now, and as I'm going, God, don't forget to, whoop. God, don't forget to, to help me at work and help me not to trip and fall. And God, and Mark 1.35, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got, went out to an isolated place to pray, Luke 6.12. One day, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. John 6.15, when Jesus saw that they were ready to for, force him to become their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself to pray. Now, this is the faith of Jesus. Jesus trusted God. He trusted God, and he prayed to God. He stayed connected. He stayed close to God. He spoke to God constantly. When's the last time you prayed? What I know is that 
So many Christians don't pray. In fact, the only time many pray is when they're saying their grace or when they're late for work. Oh, God, let that car get out of the way. Let that car move. Let the light turn green. Let the light turn green. Oh, God, help me on my test. It's those, you know, those emergency prayers you shoot up to God. Hey, God doesn't mind those. I don't know if he ever does anything about them, but <laughs> you, could, you could try that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not, kind of, I'm not talking about the kind of prayers you pray now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a personal relationship with God where your heart is communicating with the heart of God. You know, we, I, there's husbands and wives here today. If Husbands, if you talk to your wife the way you talk to God, you'd be getting a divorce real quick. Guys, we have to be more like the women. They know how to talk. It's a truth, it's a truth. You gotta know how to pour out your heart to God. You have to tell God how you feel, what you're thinking, and God, here's what I need. And you need to get away to a quiet place. Sometimes what I do is I just put a face mask over my eyes and put something in my ears, and I'm alone with God. Jesus stayed connected to the Father. He prayed. And I'm gonna tell you, something very special happens when you're praying. The Spirit of God begins to communicate and starts impressing you and planting thoughts and ideas in your head. Starts communicating with your spirit. That's what it means to be a people who put their trust in God. And then finally, let me just point this out. You trust in God, you pray, and you do the will of the Father. John 4, 34, Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Are you doing the will of God in your life? How many people, how many people in church now go to church and that's about the sum total of it? My dad was telling me uh, just yesterday that he remembers back, I don't know, 35 years ago, Pastor Barber complaining complaining or maybe stating a fact, saying there's just a handful of people that run Calvary Temple, just a handful of people that will do the work or get the work done. And that was, uh, that was something that, that my parents understood as unacceptable. If you're gonna follow Jesus, you gotta go all the way. And that means you gotta start doing the will of the Father. And by the way, not just at church, but day to day, how you live your life. It means you stop lying, you stop cheating, you stop stealing, you stop cutting that guy off, stop honking that horn, and stop flipping him the bird. Because you're a Christian. It means you stop swearing at your wife or your kids. It means you stop gossiping about your boss or about your ex. It means you start treating everybody the way Jesus wants us to treat them. I will put my trust in him, Jesus said. And Jesus trusted the Father. Jesus prayed to the Father. And Jesus did the will of the Father. In fact, in Matthew 12, 15, it tells the same story that Mark does about how Jesus' family came to get Jesus because they said Jesus is out of his mind. The disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, your mother and your brother your mother and your brothers are here to take you away. And Jesus said, who's my mother and my brothers? Well, Jesus knew who his mother and his brothers were. 
And now they're thinking, yeah, for sure, you see, he really is out of his mind. But what's he, gonna, what's, he, what's he trying to do here? He's trying to make a point. He's trying to make a statement. He says this. He says, only those who do the will of my father are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. You see, folks, what makes you and I the brothers and sisters of Jesus is that we're constantly doing the will of the Father. You say, well, what does all this have to do with rest? I'll tell you exactly what it has to do with rest. When you and I are where God wants us to be, that's called the place of rest. Our trust is in God. We're connecting with the Father, pouring out our hearts to him, relieving ourselves of the stress that we're carrying, and then carrying out the will of God. That's when rest, the sweet rest of God, comes and envelops us. It's for this reason Jesus says this in his sermon. And all of you know this passage of Scripture. Would you stand with me, please? Because we're going to say it together. And some of you have learned it a little different, but... uh, Sometimes it's good to learn something afresh in a new way. It makes it come alive again. Seek the kingdom, say it with me, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above What are you seeking right now above God? Because that's why you're losing your rest. That's why, you're, that's why you've lost your rest. And Jesus is calling you back now to seeking first the kingdom of God. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Now, just stop for a moment. This, this, if you live like this, that's a sign that you trust God. I believe that God is going to meet all my needs if I put him first every day and in every way. I'm putting God first. He's my number one priority every day. My number one priority is not Gloria, Jesse, Nicholas, or Sarah. My number one priority is not being your pastor. It's not this church. My number one priority is my connection to my God, my relationship to my God and doing his will. And then Jesus says, look, and notice this. He's telling us to put God first in every way. And if we do that, then he goes on to say, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough. Hallelujah. You got troubles and worries with you today? Jesus is saying, stop it. Stop it. Stop worrying. Unbelievers worry. People who've put their faith in Christ, who have found rest in Jesus, they don't worry. They trust in God. They put God first. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would strengthen us as your people to start living this life of faith because rest belongs to those who have faith. Calling us to trust you, God. You're calling us to pray every day to keep our connection with you. You're calling us, Father, to start doing your will. And then, Father, we know that we can 
have that rest. We don't have to worry about a thing. We can take a deep breath, a deep sigh, and we can trust you. You're going to take care of it all, Lord. We don't know how, but that's your problem. Our challenge is to keep our eyes on you and keep doing your will. And so, Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who quickens us and helps us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Can everyone say it with me? Hey, before you...